Welcome, you're listening to the Agile Unemployment Podcast, where in each episode, we take an in-depth look at being out of work. We'll talk about the programs and benefits available to you. We'll talk about the job hunting process itself. And most importantly, we're going to address the psychological and emotional impact that being out of work has on the individual. I'm your host, Sabina Sulat. I'm an HR expert and author. A few years ago, I lost my dream job and found myself unemployed for the first time in my life. I was frustrated by the lack of resources and information available to people out of work. But more than that, I was just stunned by the fact that we don't talk about unemployment. I took my experience and I turned it into a book and I now coach people to build resilience while they're out of work. If you are out of work, if you recently lost your job or maybe you've been unemployed for a while or maybe you're just afraid that you might lose your current job, this is the place to be. We're a safe place where we can talk about all aspects of being out of work. We can answer your questions and we can help you build resilience so that when you go back to work, you are stronger and more confident than ever. So let's get started. Hey everybody, it's Sabina. Uh, As I am recording this, it is the end of December, uh, very shortly going into January, ending of 2022. I have really high hopes for 2023. I hope all of you do as well. I don't want to bore everybody right now with a synopsis of the year. I think we'll see enough of those on on the news and other podcasts and so forth. A few things I do want to say is I want to thank anyone who has listened to this podcast, been a guest on the podcast, supported it in any way. We've only been running this since August, but I'm really happy with where things are. The response I've gotten from people is overwhelming. More importantly, people have asked if I'm continuing this into the new year. Given what we see in the news, given layoffs that are happening, people are afraid of their jobs, recession looming, I don't see any reason not to do it. In fact, those are all reasons to continue. So just look forward to the podcast in 2023. I have some great guests lined up. I have some ideas, themes, if you will, of ways to get out of unemployment in 2023. Uh, Quick introduction to today's podcast. A few months ago, I had the pleasure of meeting Alistair Barton, who is a podcast host in his own right of a podcast called Picking at Perfection. We hit it off immediately. We wanted to be guests on each other's podcasts, but it took what felt like forever to make it happen. But once it did, what ended up happening was a well over two hour conversation where we covered everything from the nemesis of perfection to how to leverage that in your unemployment and pretty much anything in between. I'm not going to give the whole two hours right now. I've edited it a bit. But I'm going to give you the first half of that conversation, and then early in 2023, we'll look at the second half. I hope you find it interesting and maybe even a little amusing and fun. And I want to thank Alistair for letting me end 2022 and begin 2023 on a great note. Hope you enjoy.
Hi everyone, my name is Alistair Barton and I am host of the podcast that is called Picking at Perfection, all about breaking down barriers between society and perfect expectations, however you might experience those. And the show, as you know, is all about having conversations with successful people in different areas and talking about their journey. So not just where they are, but how they got there. And I'm so pleased to be joined on this particular episode by Sabina. Sabina, please tell us who you are and what you get up to. Hi, thank you, Alistair. I'm I'm just so happy to be talking with you right now. I'm, this is a long time incoming. And for anyone listening out there, I'm Sabina Sulad, and I'm an author and workplace expert. I've spent the past two years looking at the employment landscape. I also host the podcast Agile Unemployment, which is named after my book, coincidentally called Agile Unemployment. My goal is to help people manage that period of losing their job and getting back to working. And I love that. It's such an admirable and really important job at the moment, for sure. A little bit for the listeners reference of how today's format is going to work. So first of all, we're going to talk about perfectionism and societal expectations, which is, of course, my area of expertise. And that part of the episode will be available on all streams of picking up perfection. And then the second part, we're going to talk more about the workplace and what it is that I get up to and how Sabina's input on that and experience and having a bit of a chat and a back and forth and that side of the show will be available on Sabina's stream, which as she said, is agile unemployment. The first thing I want to dive into Sabina with you, because you've used the P word, you've used the P word in some of your bios, you say in your explanation of your background, that you landed what you thought was your perfect and your dream job. Tell us about that and tell us what that looked like. It seems like so long ago, and it really wasn't. I've worked in the organizational development, learning and development space. I love that work. And I landed what I thought was my dream job. It was working for one of the largest employers in Washington, D.C. It was everything I thought would be the apex of my career. I decided it was going to be my final corporate role it would have positioned me beautifully to be an expert on work, on learning. It would give me what I thought I wanted was this freedom to be my own boss, have my own life, pick and choose what I wanted to do. I think that sounds fantastic to everybody. On the outside, it was perfect. Uh, I was going to work there for a while. I was going to obtain a doctorate. And that added to my credibility. I was going to write books. I was going to do tours. I thought I was going to be like Brene Brown, Simon Sinek, someone along those lines. I had very grandiose dreams. And that I thought I had arrived and all I had to do was do my time and then I would get everything I wanted. And, and then... <laughs> go on. <laughs> it didn't happen. There was a reorg and... For the first time in my life, I was out of work and I watched everything that I thought I wanted just crash in front of me. I mean, it just dissolved as I was watching it. I had no idea what to do next. It was pretty soul crushing. 
So. In terms of the idea of this being your dream job, before we dive into your your journey and how you overcame that adversity that you faced, I am curious, where did that notion of it being your dream job come from? Do you think that that was innately what you wanted? Or do you think that there was any societal influence on making you think that that was your dream job, your dream avenue? Wow, that's that is such a good question. And I think it's probably a combination of it's not always just what we want. A lot of it is this expectation of family and friends. I love the corporate world. And I think there was this expectation when you're working for a large organization that you're just going to keep working till you get to the top of your field. That was definitely in my sights. I think a lot of it was, I'll be really honest, now that I'm looking back on it, this is like a therapy session, a lot of it was in my imagination. You build this thing up, and as you're working towards it, as you're reaching towards it, and you only think about the really good things, the reality was it was a lot of long hours, and it was learning a new culture, and it was a very difficult culture, and you wonder, you're like, well, this wasn't really in my fantasy life of what I thought this was going to be. I think it's that determining where that line is of, you know, imagine perfection and reality. And sometimes when you think about it too much, and I definitely did, because I'd been looking for a job for a while, I felt I'd gotten the brass ring. And you don't want to look at those things that are not part of what you had thought it would be, those realities that can be pretty grim. I was working, I don't know, 16-hour days, seven days a week, things like that that aren't part of that vision. But I also didn't want to admit how hard it was because I had gotten what I'd always wanted. Mm. Just as you were talking there, the the term the American dream kind of comes to mind. And that's <laughs> yes. it even gets used in the UK. I would use that. It's not limited to American. But the thought that comes to mind is the house with the white picket fence. You know, it's a man and a woman. They're married. They've both got stable jobs. They have a dog, some children. They do fun things at the weekend. And actually, one, that's kind of a rom-com unrealistic expectation. Yeah. And two, it's all about what goes on behind doors in the closed service, because you, even in that role, outward, you might have been presenting to society, successful, organized, mm -hmm. busy, but having the life and actually under that surface, perhaps not being discussed was your unhappiness of, you know, the work that had to go into that sort of yeah. upkeeping that reputation and that expectation. No, that's a really good point because if anyone asked me, how's work going? <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. I love yeah. it because you either, first of all, there was a lot of thinking, okay, this isn't quite what I thought it would be. There's something wrong with me. I'm not doing it right. Uh, that kind of seed started very early on when I started to see the realities and don't get me wrong. I've always worked hard. I don't mind that. But this was definitely harder than it should have been. And I did care about what people thought of me when I put on LinkedIn that, you know, Sabina has a new job and people came out of the woodwork. People wanted to, you know, hey, maybe we can have coffee sometime. Things like that. I enjoyed that. I'm not going to lie to you. But 
I did care what other people thought. And I didn't want to look like somehow I wasn't worthy of this kind of dream or this job or this future that I planned for myself. And a lot goes into that. I think you're right when you think of not just the American dream, but the individual dream. It's never going to be everything you think it is. And there's all this other stuff that happens behind closed doors that you, I think you have to look at and mm-hmm. expect. I think had I expected it more, it might not have been so hard and mm-hmm. disappointing. Yeah, and I, I think, think going, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I feel like from what you're describing as well, there might have been what I think is called destination syndrome going on in terms of the life that we lead at the moment in the the modern day is very much our work and I'll quickly storm through this part because next I will be able to do this next thing. And then even when you get to mm-hmm. that destination and that milestone, you're you then you don't enjoy that you don't revel in it you then go what's next and you kind of forget to live in the moment and focus on on what's going and that's the reason why life sort of feels so fast-paced for a lot of us I think you're right and I think that's a fine line because we constantly evolve and develop and you do need a goal you do need Mm. those milestones in your life they're so important So where, I guess maybe my question might be to you, I'll flip this a little bit. How do you know when it's a a significant milestone that you need to achieve? And when you've gotten where you had that unrealistic mindset of, I think it's the if only syndrome. If only this Mm. happens, only I do that, then everything will be okay. I did that in that job. I did it project to project. If I just get this off my desk, I can work 14 hour days, things like that. So I think when you're in it, it's really hard to step back and have the perspective. Mm, Most definitely. I would say that it's for me, and this might not be a proven method, but it's taking time to celebrate, Mm. uh, having those milestones, but scheduling gaps between them. I don't know about everyone else, how they do their goals, but mine is sort of set monthly and I'll regularly look at them and update them. And it's just taking stock. So if I like recently I've been promoted, got a new job within the same company. And that is my pure focus at the moment because it's been achieved. I'm kind of like reveling in that and doing all of the fun things that I was hoping to set up, setting up some of the structure as part of it, setting up some of the systems, doing all the shiny testing things that I love to do whilst that is still achieving the main goal, but the main goal of getting that job title has been done and set aside. So it's almost like working in peaks and troughs is the way I would say. So if you've got a goal of getting a new job or getting a promotion, your next goal after that should be something that is technically a downside in terms of the amount of effort that's required. So you're always going on the upward trajectory, but it's in kind of peaks and troughs. I can see that. I will say this. I did take a moment to celebrate. I took, I actually took 10 days in Europe to celebrate. Oh, wow. (laughs) And, but I think that perspective didn't happen. Still being mired in it. Now that I look back, I spent a fair amount of those 10 days on email and, you know, putting Mm -hmm. out fires and things like that. My, my traveling companion was less than thrilled with me. 
I'm just captivated by this whole idea of like the perfect and then the reality. I think it's reconciling yourself to where you are. I still thought that, oh, if I just do this one thing, then everything will be perfect. And what it was in my mind, and I'm going to be honest, it wasn't just in my mind. It's when you're looking for a job, they certainly present it to you a certain way because they want you, they (laughs) want to recruit you. So it wasn't just in my mind, folks. It was presented to me a certain way. And not being able to let go of that picture of perfection, I think is one of the hardest things to do. And then it became especially true for me after I lost that job, because once we lose something, it becomes even more valuable and perfect to us in a way. I don't Mm. know if you've ever experienced that or had anyone. Um, And that's even harder, I think. Most definitely. It's like not knowing what we had. And also, I think we have, again, another bias coming out there. I think it's where our brain biases what's already happened and sees it in a more positive light. We're able to sort of add a polish. And if it's in the past, we're able to add a polish in the brain. I think it must be a self-preservation kind of method of remembering the really good things. So the loss feels even mm-hmm. greater because we don't remember it in a balanced kind of way. Yeah. I mean, I I don't want to be rude by asking this, but when you lost that job, was there any kind of sense of relief? Were you, or was it a true shattering of the illusion? I'm glad you asked that question because overwhelmingly, and I write about this, my very first feeling was relief. Wasn't Mm -hmm. a total surprise to me. When you're called in for a a 7am meeting, you kind of know something's up, but my very first feeling was, oh, thank goodness I don't have to do this anymore. I even texted that to a friend of mine. For a while, when I would look back, I was like, oh, if only, I think it's not just the loss, but the, oh, if only this had worked out, then that would happen. And the next thing would happen. And everything did kind of crumble because it was the life plan that I had. And I'll say this, and I'm sure people tell you this all the time, Focusing on that did not do me any favors. It actually prevented me from moving forward. I got very caught up in the emotion that comes with that loss of focusing on what I no longer had, which now in retrospect seems really unintelligent. I think it was a very honest emotional thing to do, but logically it made no sense. If I had kept this everything would have been perfect, not realizing that, no, my health was in jeopardy, my social life, everything. And then I went into this replacement mode where, okay, so I have to get the next job has to be at that level. It has to position me for the exact same things. You can laugh at this, but I have a friend who I did get a job after that. And a friend always called it my rebound job. Like, you know, when you break up in a relationship and you go out with somebody because (laughs) they remind you of the person you broke up with or something like that. She called it my rebound job. And now looking back, I'm like, wow, it really was. (laughs) And so tell me about the, the time that you were unemployed, because the first thing that kind of comes to my mind is that 
I would almost be a bit scared to be open and honest about saying that that had happened to me for fear of judgment for friends, family, because, you know, being employed represents stability, being able to provide. And there's, for me, there's almost maybe a shame that comes in into effect of no longer being able to do that. And almost like I've failed because I am now unemployed. Did you kind of experience that or is that a Absolutely. Absolutely. Go back to that American dream analogy that you gave. And I think that goes with anything that that kind of cookie cutter, perfect dream that we achieve. If there's something wrong behind closed doors, we don't want to admit it to people because it's almost more important that other people believe in the perfection than we believe in the perfection. And that's what happened to me with losing the job. I so of course, life always works this way. I lost the job right around the time of my college reunion. So few things say success to your classmates, your fellow alumni, as I'm unemployed. And I live in the same town as my college. And I had people staying with me who were colleagues, who were, we were on a, a board together for school, former classmates, we graduated together, all of whom are doing really well. And I sat on this for about half the weekend. And finally, it came out, you know, you stay up till two in the morning talking with all your buddies, and it just came out. And of course, everybody was nothing but supportive. In my mind, I thought there would be this, I don't know, I felt the shame. No one else felt ashamed of me. Mm -hmm. And I think that happens a lot with this perfection, because that me having that job was not part of their story for me. Me mm -hmm. being happy was part of their story for me. And I was unhappy in that. And those emotions of shame of, you know, I did wrong or something like that. They're so internal. I've learned. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true with that. If we lose that perfection, because we're never going to attain it the only person we really end up disappointing is ourselves and we've got to give mm. ourselves a break yeah I we never truly know I think there's so many of us that assume what other people want for us or expect from yeah. us and I love that you said that your friends and your colleagues just their idea of perfection for you was being happy so bringing things back to happiness is it, it's really wonderful and yes the shame is perhaps more innate than it is societal but tell us how, because I know the first few days were from speaking in the past, they were sort of tumultuous, should we say, they were very up and down. And there were sort of things that you did to overcome. Um, tell us the happy ending. Oh, <laughs> That's okay. what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but how did you get yourself out, out of that situation? It never is a straight trajectory. It's very roller coastery. I had some early success with interviews, but at the same time, there was this parallel thought of how am I going to pay bills and, and things like that. I did become very depressed because it took longer than I thought it would to get another job. And I'd never been out of work before. And I had to navigate in the U.S. There's all these things you have to file with, and it's different for every location, every state, things like that. It's very confusing. I wasted time, money, doing all of these things. And I would often say like, you know, someone needs to write a book about all of this. It took me a year to get another job. And part of it was learning 
how to apply for work differently getting the support of my friends I think the major epiphany for me came I have a mentor who insisted that I come to visit her she lives in the south of the U.S. and it was a very cold spring and she's like no you need to be out in the sunshine come down and stay with us for a weekend and she sat me down and she said you know I think you should be on your own I think you should start your own business and I told her nope can't do it I don't have the bandwidth but I also realized spending time with her I followed her routine I'd been in this slump of doing whatever I wanted when I wanted and I think humans need structure mm -hmm. and following her structure, I felt better. I, there was something to look forward to. My time was well-managed and I knew I had to kind of take hold of my life. And I had that thought on the plane ride home and I immediately started doing that, started doing things I enjoyed, taking better care of myself, being very focused in what kind of work I wanted. And all of that served me well. Very quickly after that, I'd started the interview process for the job I took I would end up taking me letting go of that past perfection we just mentioned mm. and coming up with a I don't think it was a conscious thing but I came up with the realistic goal of wow I really need a job and an income and working towards that letting go of the idea that I was going to replace what I'd lost I need and that really helped me move forward and now it's it's almost come full circle for you, hasn't it? Because what you were describing of wanting to get out of your perfect and your dream job that you ultimately lost, you've come full circle and been able to do that outside of that environment. Isn't that correct? Ironically, yes. And I'm, I'm <laughs> laughing because I'm not sure I want to admit that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, took a, it took a friend to point that out to me. It's much harder now. I, I definitely make a lot less than I'm used to making. But again, I guess my my friend's wish for me happened because I am ultimately so much happier. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy what I do. And yeah, it it became this full circle thing where I connected with somebody on LinkedIn who offered to help me write that book that would help people when they were out of work. And so I did that. And I now coach people through unemployment in their jobs. I'm building a business. I give presentations to groups. I have a podcast much sooner than it would have happened had I stayed at that first job. And it's this irony that I do have what I wanted. It's just in a completely different way. I often say what happens to you happens for you. And I think I'm a pretty big example of that. Mm, definitely. And life works in funny ways. And I think that if you have something at your core that is a purpose that you feel like really lights you up and, and drives you, which is clearly helping people. And I think we connect on, on a level of that being both of our drives and purposes. I think that will always steer you well. And in times of hardship it's important to hold on to that and I think you you truly did and you're a stellar example of that thank you I feel very honored that you said that <laughs> I think this idea of perfection is something that haunts me a bit mm -hmm. took me a year longer to launch the book than I wanted because 
I still struggle with the perfection. It was mm -hmm. not where I wanted it to be. And ultimately it happened because I knew I had to produce something. And I actually help people write books now and I tell them you're going to have a love-hate relationship with it. And <laughs> just, just be prepared for that. But I struggle again with the second book where it's not quite what I wanted it to be. And so you're the perfection expert. So let me ask you, how do I draw that line? How do I know I'm cured of perfection? If that <laughs> ever happens, if that's such a thing. You just take this pill. It's available for $9.99. <laughs> Drop the link in the comments. You would have a fortune. <laughs> I think that it's something that always hangs around. Um I'll pass it back to you in a second in terms of saying like, what is your definition of perfection? Because I think coming to terms with that, that is important as well. Practice, practice coming out of your comfort zone. I would say like nothing, I always go by the phrase, I believe it's from Zig Ziglar and Christina Carlson, the, the founder of Kiki K always said this on her podcast you don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. So mm. knowing that by just putting your foot through the door, putting your fingers to the keyboard, whatever it is that you're putting your mind to, like you're saying with your authors that you're helping, you might not like what first comes out. You mm. know, I, I invite anyone listening to this to go back to the first episode of the podcast I ever produced. It's terrible. It's awful. <laughs> And it, the quality is terrible. I sound nervous. The microphone is awful. There's background noise. And I was speaking to my partner, Rob, actually about this recently because um, we're very, I'm very narcissistic. I put my podcast on for my dogs when we leave them because it comforts them to hear my voice. But that's a separate conversation. And it goes, so we hear it go all the way to the back to the start quite regularly because it's on a lot in our house. And Rob said to me, why do you keep that episode? Why not archive it? Why not delete it? Why not make it better? Because I want to show growth. I want to show, yeah. I want someone to listen to this episode and think the audio quality is good. The conversation is good. And then I want them to go to episode number one and go, well, that's rubbish. But look at how far that has come and that that is possible. So I think just, it sounds so simple and cliche, but just start and know that it's not okay, but Oh, sorry, know that it won't be perfect, but have fun with it. Try and enjoy it. Try and link it to what is your purpose. And then you might look back one day and think, oh gosh, how far I've come. And regularly try and look back at how far you've come as well to remind you that now you're on your way to what is looking like more perfect or at least certainly a better quality. But I don't think that we ever reach perfection there's always more to be done or more that could be done but I think that that's helped me come to terms with it does that make sense oh no it does there's so much to unpack in all of that because one of the things I was thinking that first podcast episode that no one looks at us under the microscope more than ourselves you always know what you intended and where you and I'm using air quotes here, you know, where you made a mistake and things like that. But someone coming in and listening to your first podcast, it could be perfect to them because it gave them an idea that they needed, or you said something that's them and might always go back to that podcast because in their mind, it was perfect. Mm -hmm. And they might be listening to 
other podcasts go, you know, I liked it when he was less polished. <laughs> our <laughs> perfect, our perfect is somebody else's mm. not, not imperfect, but they might quibble with it. And I think that's one thing to consider. I like what you said about tying it back to, you know, the purpose of things. And that is actually one of the things that motivated me to get the book out and get the podcast out, even though I know these things are less than perfect because I wanted to help people. I thought was a little late, unfortunately, to help people in the pandemic. Uh, and I did not have a crystal ball and see the pending recession coming. But I did have thoughts that in America, there's about 6 million people unemployed every day. I'm sure at least one of them needs this book. Mm. I'm sure one of them needs to listen to this podcast. And that's good yeah. enough for me right now. Mm. Uh, do I want the most popular podcast ever? Of course I do. I, like you said, we're never going to leave that perfection trail that we're on. But I think in order to have a, how can I put this, in order to live a life where we're not obsessed, mm. we maybe have to reconcile ourselves to, did we hit that purpose that we wanted? Definitely. And I think that my idea of perfection, or what it's certainly what I'm trying to translate to be my idea of perfection, is that if there's someone listening to this podcast and it helps just one person, then that that is perfect. And that is wonderful because that person will have found support and will have resided with them. And they would probably turn into, you know, a dedicated fan and, and tune in regularly. And that's what you need. You need people that are dedicated and that enjoy your content versus people that are judging and critical and, and that are waiting for things to be perfect and that they don't like the audio quality but that's not the message and that's not the the means of what we're trying to achieve here and I think something else I was always taught when growing up and this is more relation to money but I translate it to, to lots of other means I was always told to live within your means so if you earn a certain wage then you live within that means you don't mm -hmm. ever overspend you don't ever overstep that but now as an adult, I actually don't think that that's correct advice to be giving people. You should know your means and you should live just outside it. Don't push yourself to be a millionaire. Don't push yourself to be the top podcaster. Shortly, certainly you can dream of being that. But if you aim just one step higher than what you know you can achieve, then that will feel gratifying. And that's certainly what I try and do. And it's more realistic, but it's also just as rewarding. I like that idea of the discomfort the stretch because I'm definitely in my discomfort zone. It is kind of an irony that I can't remember when I've been this happy. I worry about the same things we all worry about bills. And if I have to go back to a nine to five job, how do I explain the past two years, things like that. But what keeps me away from that is I want to continue being this happy. Mm -hmm. I, I like that kind of the idea of the stretch. I like that. Yeah. I have a question. You asked mm. me a few times how others interpreted my being out of work and how that impacted me. I don't think I'm the only one who's been up against wondering about the opinions of others. And you you mentioned this with your, even your partner is like, why do you have that one podcast? <laughs> so, and I know it's different, but how how do you recommend withstanding the slings and arrows of the naysayers. Mm, so like the haters. Yeah. 
I guess I've been relatively lucky. I, you know, I've never had someone post a comment on the podcast being like, you know, this is rubbish or or whatever. Cause I guess podcasting is not necessarily the the medium. It, you know, it's not a YouTube video where comments are enabled underneath and things like mm-hmm. that. Either the naysayers and the saboteurs have more been in the back of my head. Because Mm -hmm. I always think that, you know, people aren't listening to this. People think it's rubbish or people are looking at me and going, who does he think he is? He can't post on LinkedIn and have a podcast and work for this company. Like, what's he trying to do? So I think that a lot of that battle has been totally in my head. And actually, when I talk to people or when someone, you know, I cringe inadvertently. I was at a social recently where Mm -hmm. my podcast came up as a topic of conversation because past guests had been there and I was almost like shutting down I was closing myself off because I to protect myself in case anything negative came up from those people but all of them were like oh my god that's amazing I will totally listen I want to be a guest I want to be a guest and it was cool and I was like I I put my feelings and I impressed them on other people but they didn't actually voice those opinions. So it was all me sort of imprinting my thoughts and my fears on them before they'd even opened up and said anything about, about the show. And I think when I worry about, you know, colleagues or other people, probably half the people out there don't even know it exists. Mm-hmm. And even if they did, they probably wouldn't take a lesson. And, and that's okay. And I don't mind. I think realistically, what helps is just having a supporter so like Rob so I said earlier he asked about why I've kept that one episode that wasn't in a critical way that was just in a conversational way and he's such a champion of me and you need people that are champions that will say this is great and even if it's not you know 100% they'll still say it's great but you also need not necessarily naysayers but you need people that will ask questions and I think building a support system around you involves that you need your champions the people that will just cheer you on no matter what but you also need people that will ask difficult questions ahead of other public Mm. people asking difficult questions and you know you have to know that that comes from a place of protection of you and not a place of of negativity and I think that that just being open to that feedback and taking it on board and accepting that feedback is a gift so you can choose to use it or you can choose to discard it. It's it's a mindset that definitely is hard to get into. And I think the only way to do that is to practice it. So start, start small, start asking people for feedback on your work, asking for opinions, and then you'll get yourself out of a place that defends and fends off of feedback and actually takes it on board processes it and then chooses an outcome of of where to go and whether to act on it and I totally think as well turning your phone off if if something (laughs) if you're putting things out on social media I know a lot of content creators especially on LinkedIn and they they some people hit post and then they turn their phone off and then they shut their web browser because then they won't be constantly checking it of like is it getting comments is it getting engagement Mm -hmm. are people receiving it well sort of putting that, you know, 10, 20 minutes of distance between yourself and putting things out there can be massively helpful. And then coming back to it and whatever the outcome is, the outcome is. And certainly in content creation, the attitude I take is I'm having fun while I'm putting this out there. And if I start seeing things as just experiments and seeing how they go and using it for my own personal development, certainly in mindset, then I find that that helps me feel less uncomfortable and less worried about what other people will say and what people will think. I like that because I think there is 
getting back to like the original point of perfection, mm. it can be a very unhealthy thing. We've talked about the perspective, but you're hitting on something that I really like is that you have to accept yourself as you are today and then to bring back something you said earlier, but also stretch yourself so you can be who you want to be tomorrow. Mm. And I think that's a healthier way of doing things than the climbing the mountain overnight and and getting to the top. Exactly. And I think as for me, understanding some of the psychology and their biology really helps as well. So mm. there's a really great book, and I'm sure you've probably read it. It's called The The Chimp Paradox by Dr. Steve Peters. And that really explains the way that humans are made up and the fact that we are at our core designed by nature to be in small tribes and certainly evolution would has taught us that being liked by the tribe is positive because we don't get thrown out by the tribe we don't get abandoned by the tribe the tribe helps provide us food and works together as a team to survive and we've almost taken that mindset forward into the modern world that doesn't require that anymore so understanding a bit of why we're like this so our tribes are no longer 50 people or whatever they would have been back then. It, your reach can be thousands, millions mm-hmm. of people, depending on what your social media profiles look like. So that intensity is increased, but you can't possibly be liked by a million people, by a thousand people. Someone will always have something different to say, but we're sort of, again, imprinting that and trying to, and by no fault of our own, it's biology and evolution hasn't almost hasn't caught up with the way that we lead our lives at the moment so understanding the biology is something that really helped me kind of go well it is the way that it is and sort of move (laughs) on I'm that kind of person that you know if someone doesn't like me for the way I am I'm like okay that's fine we just won't talk then I'm not going to bother you and you don't bother me we'll just interact as we need and I appreciate that not everyone's like that but that's certainly something that helped me but you're hitting on something that is so hard for a lot of people of being okay with not being liked because we're raised that, you know, don't you want people to like you? And now we have social media where you're looking at your likes and your comments and, and so forth. I'm just realizing you're an incredibly healthy person uh, psychologically to be able to say that. Now I'll try to remember the title of a book. I think it's called the, what is it? The courage to be disliked. And it talks about that heavily of, you're right. You're not going to, not everyone's going to like you. Not everyone's going to agree with what you're doing or saying. And you have to be okay with that. Otherwise that will be your focus. Mm -hmm. And I do think that comes into perfection where in our perfect world, everybody loves us. I will go back to uh, that dream job that I lost. I did not have everybody love me and that became apparent right away. And it weighed on me every day and I never got past it until I left and being okay with it helped me get past it. But one thing that surprised me was people who came out of the woodwork, who expressed empathy for me, support of me. And it always comes from the place you least expect it. There was one person who wrote me a very, very nice note, and they're now in charge of the department. 
<laughs> and I, I take that as that's something I can look back on and, and feel good about people who didn't like me. I'm happier than they are. Mm. I don't necessarily compare myself, but they did me a service in a way because it's all led to where I should be. Mm, yeah, definitely. And I think that you, you don't have to like each other to also get on with something. I don't know. There's almost the putting your differences aside. You can still collaborate. You know, I'm thinking purely of more of a working environment. <laughs> if people don't get on that, that's all right, because work is not necessarily always a social thing. So we exactly. can just put that aside and get on and and just make it easier. But like I said, I'm again, I'm quite a practical person. And also to, to be transparent, this wasn't always the way that I am and it isn't always the way I am. Certainly, I this is within my comfort zone, having a conversation on a microphone on a podcast that's very much in my comfort zone. So I'm able to present the relatively confident person that, that I am. But, you know, going back to our behind closed doors, if this is our American dream, what we're seeing and hearing right now, behind closed doors can sometimes be a different situation, certainly through the program that I'm going through at the moment with LinkedIn content creation. Mm -hmm. There's always an element of comparing yourself and oh, feeling yeah. like an imposter for not necessarily being up there with some of the other names that are taking part in this program with me. And I do allow myself to lean into that sometimes. I allow myself 10 minutes to sort of be in this wallowing area. And then I'll go downstairs or wait until Rob gets home and I'll explain it all to him and I'll get it out of my system. And then I put that to bed. The problem is if when you let it fully grip and impact your decisions, it has to be a way of processing it. And if that is to talk about it with a loved one, talk about it with a friend in person or even online on a phone call or whatever, whether it's to write it down, there needs to be something for your brain to kind of process it and have an outcome. And then I feel myself finding it easier to put that to bed and to wake up the next day with a renewed mindset of moving on from that and taking something that you can learn from it and taking something that you might need to action and turning it into feedback or actionable steps rather than wallowing in it as much but again it's easier said than done I hope this is helping people rather than making them think god I wish I was him because that's the opposite idea of this podcast <laughs> no well so you know imposter syndrome is definitely one of those terms that gets kicked around a lot and you just did a beautiful job of describing it and how to handle it because someone a colleague once said to me the only people who don't feel imposter syndrome are the people who are imposters. And I thought, wow, that's pretty deep. And I think it shows that maturity and that actually it takes a lot of confidence to look at yourself and you hit on two things. The examination of, I think wallow is a strong word. I don't think you wallow. I think it's an actual... <laughs> the end of the day, holding the mirror up to yourself and saying, okay, this is what I'm doing. Am I qualified for it? Did I do a good job? Where can I improve? Where can I stretch? What's my next level of slight discomfort mm. as I want to get to the next pace? And I think that's the professional, uh, healthy way to do it. That's where growth comes. I think it's essential that people do do that. Hmm. Uh, I think that that might actually not doing it might be where that desire for perfection becomes 
self-sabotaging and unhealthy is when you don't look for that growth anymore or that development and you're afraid to hold the mirror up because you might see that it's not perfect mm -hmm. yeah definitely and my personality and um certainly the the way that I enjoy things is them sort of being systematic so that systematic reflection that organized mm -hmm. kind of reflection really helps me because systems and routines they they comfort me that's just the, the way that I am so it's sort of almost pairing it with something that I know is positive to help me breach something that I think or that my mind perceives is is negative and there you have it for today I hope you learned something or heard something today that is helping you as you are in your out-of-work journey and that will help you normalize the conversation about being out of work. If you heard something that resonated with you, please show us support, subscribe, like, or comment on something. If you'd like to learn more information, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, Sabina Sula. I'm the only one. You can also reach out to me on my website, reworkingworks.com. You can also email me at s-s-u-l-a-t at reworking.com. I'd love to hear from you. If you want to know about private coaching, more about the book, more about the podcast, I wish you luck in your getting back to work journey. I hope that you've learned something here that if it hasn't made that journey a little shorter, it's at least made it a little easier. Until next time, thanks for joining.